0: Jake Poore spent nearly two decades at the Walt Disney World Company in Florida, helping to recruit, hire, train, and align their 65,000 employees towards one end in mind: creating memorable experiences for individuals, not transactions for the masses. In 1996, Jake helped launch the Disney Institute, the external training arm of Disney that sold its business secrets to the world. 80% of the people who attended the institute were from healthcare, and Jake's passion to help improve healthcare began. He teaches us how to get everyone at an organization to focus on the patient experience, whether they have a financial incentive or not, and it starts with a morning huddle. We also discuss empowering the staff to improve the patient experience and why there needs to be a mechanism to get ideas to management. Lastly, we discuss pre-boarding, which is hiring, and onboarding. This was chock full of great ideas to start applying tomorrow. Just after 2011-2001, Mr. Poor had an epiphany and launched Integrated Loyalty Systems, a company on a mission to help elevate the human side of healthcare. Since then, Mr. Poor and his team of experts have been sharing the organizational blueprints needed to help build world-class patient experiences by helping them design and execute patient-driven cultural blueprints to find the company's patient experience strategy and map out and operationalize the ideal patient and employee experience. Mr. Poor spends most of the time in the trenches of healthcare, working side-by-side clinical and non-clinical team members on every step of the patient experience.
1: Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Panacea Financial provides banking for doctors
0: because it was founded by doctors. They have nationwide loan, checking, and savings options designed specifically for doctors and doctors in training. Their specialized suite of financial products gives medical students, residents, and practicing physicians greater freedom to forge their futures, and at affordable rates. By reducing financial barriers and burdens, Panacea Financial ensures that all doctors have increased capacity to serve their patients and the population at large. Do you need a good home for your banking needs? Go to PanaceaFinancial.com. That's Panacea Financial, P-A-N-A-C-E-A, Financial.com to get started. They're a division of Primus, member FDIC. Jake Poor, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Brad, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So I'm in a practice where the, the physicians, some of the physicians are owners, some of the physicians are associates, but either way, your revenue is somehow tied to your productivity. And this is in most physician practices, right? Yeah. Some people are salaried, but for the most part, there's some incentive to to generate revenue. So I have an incentive to then be nice, right? To focus on customer service. But there are so many people that don't have skin in the game that are employed, right? So many non-physicians that they get their salary. And if we're super busy or we're not, their revenue is the same. So for those that don't have a financial stake, how do you get them invested in the patient experience?
2: Well, that's a great question. And, and I would say, you know, I've been doing this now for 19 years. I would say predominantly, uh, whether you're inpatient or outpatient or primary care, most physicians are paid on RVUs, relative value units. The more patients you see, the sicker they are, the more money you make. It's whether you're ER or contracted or full-time equivalent. So you're talking about us versus them right? You don't mean to be, but it's like, okay, we, the docs, we have an RVU goal that's been set by the group or by the health system or by the practice. And we try to make sure that we, the herd of physicians meet that goal because that keeps us all afloat, keeps us all happy. But it really creates a disconnect between us and our team, because as we put blinders on unintentionally, and we're focused on, see one right after the other, we get on that treadmill. I've heard a physician refer to it as a gerbil in a cage running from exam room to exam room. Darn it, why is this room not clean? And we unintentionally throw our team members under the bus. It's We don't mean to. Uh, we're very caring for our patients. But sometimes when I can't find a piece of equipment, when I can't finish up a patient, a patient still hasn't gotten dressed yet. The paperwork's still not ready. The follow-up appointment's still up. When we start backing up stress starts to happen because I've got to hit these RVU goals. I think productivity and efficiency is very important. And I think whether you're in sales or or physician services, goals are important. But we've got to create something that unites us, not divides us. And if we only pay physicians on productivity, then guess what? What gets measured gets done. We learned that in business school. What gets measured, it gets done. What gets measured and incentivized gets done well. So I guess I would say we need to back up a little bit. I don't think you need to take away our view goals, but it can't be the end all be all. We've got to have something that unites us, something that draws us in. And number one, you've got to connect people back to why they got into healthcare to begin with. If you come in the back door after you park your car and you just start seeing patients, (laughs) is he even here yet? Right. Oh, yeah. I think he's in exam room three. What? You couldn't walk out to the front desk and say hello. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Right. Well, we don't come through the front door. That's the patient door. We come through the back door where employees park and so on. So we've got to be able to connect people back to the reason we're in healthcare to begin with, which is we, we say some things like we're patient centered. We're patient first. But really, you know, as a business owner and you're one of the not few physicians, but. To say that I'm nice to patients because I understand that they help generate my R views—that's that's a nice, refreshing philosophy. Most of us get on this treadmill of productivity, and we start seeing patients. And, and again, in the room, door closed, we are human. We're good listeners. We're scientists. We're, we're great at diagnosis and treatment plans, and. Hopefully uh, we get our paperwork done and we get to go home and have some balance in the world. But we've got to figure out a way to unite the team, whether they're hourly, salary, or or per diem, or they're on RVU goals.
0: So the physicians, or at least those who have skin in the game, right? Like you might have um, an office manager who's based in bonus and the more patients that come through, maybe the office manager has financial incentive there is what you're saying, give financial incentive to everyone in the office, right? Create some type of profit sharing or something like that. So that the busier we are, so therefore they have incentive to be nicer and, you know, more genuine. And then that attracts more patients. So then they, you know, is, is that where you're going with this by keeping us all on the same team?
2: No, no. I, you know, money, money is fine. And around the holidays, it's always good to to give a bonus to those uh, employees who show up every day and do a great job. I'm fine with that. But, you know, the research says, and Gallup is the oldest research organization around employee engagement, and they have this thing called the Q12, the 12 questions that you ask to ask what really matters most to to employees. Uh, And it's stuff like, did I get in the last seven days positive feedback from my boss or physician, right? Uh, Do I have a best friend at work? Do I have the tools and resources to do my job? You know, getting verbal thank yous uh, is sometimes just as, just as financially viable as a, as a $100 gift card. Now, putting aside Maslow's hierarchy of need, right? If they don't have enough food to put on the table, if they don't have electricity, of course, that's beside the point. But all things being equal, we've got to figure out a way that collectively unites us into the same direction. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about purpose. I'm talking about worthwhile work. I'm talking about giving recognition um, when people – you have three call six or call-offs and somebody busts their hump to get through the day, you buy them lunch and bring it in, and you come back and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Sometimes that's more important than the actual gift card or, or paycheck. When it goes to physicians or practice managers um, – call center employees, or if you have phones, people, MAs, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think everybody's talking about how much money they're making and what are the RVU goals. Even if we had them, they're talking about the next patient. They're talking about somebody called off. She's always running. late. why is that? She's never on time. That's the stress and the ethos that surrounds us. I think hanging goals in the break room on a dry erase board or patient satisfaction, feedback, comments. I think those are all important, but those are uh, stars in the sky, not necessarily what gets me out of bed in the morning. And I think if you start a daily huddle with your team to connect them to here's our day, you know, you start the meeting, what we call it human business, human, right? Start the meeting on human. Good morning. Does anybody have anything to celebrate, Brad? Yeah, my, you know, my three kids, they, they first day back to school. Thank God they're not in the house anymore. All right. Congratulations, Brad. Dr. Poor. Oh yeah. I just want to let you know, we did an in-service with my team. We bought some pig's feet. Uh, we practice incisions where they would hold it correctly, where I was stapling them now and the suture. Oh, we did a great job. Thanks team. Great. Anybody else? Yeah, we hit our RV, goal, and, and so we start on the human. We get into the business. All right, here's how many patients we have today. Um, we've got some ice out front. We've got to sprinkle some salt. Don't forget, we've got uh, this new billing system. And then we end the meeting on it. And we say, listen, I just want to let you know you guys are great. Appreciate you. Call some people out. We don't do that, Brad. We don't do that in the inpatient setting. Uh, 7 a.m., it's always safety huddles. All right, give me your numbers. I see you. ER, NICU, what? Did anybody, can anybody say good morning? Hello? By the way, thank you, ER, last night. I understand you guys had 222 patients at the Methodist University Hospital ER room, and we got them all in, we got them all out. We had no, left without being seen. We don't celebrate. So when you're constantly looking at numbers and your boss or your physician only comes to you when they need something or when something goes wrong, that weighs on your shoulders. So yeah, would it be nice if everybody got a bonus or we celebrate somehow as an office when we hit a certain goal? Absolutely. All I'm saying is money is not the end-all be-all motivator. I think there may be um, some physicians
0: out there that uh, that may disagree because <laughs> this, is, this is what we hear. I, mean, I can't tell you how many finance physician podcasts there are. Out there, the 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 money thing is uh tends to be very top of mind, but it, and they'll be thrilled to know that they don't need to spend extra money in order to
2: increase morale. So, so what you're saying Brad, is, you said, spread. Let me interrupt you. you. You said you have three kids. Yeah. Okay. Are they all in school? I mean, they're probably home virtually now. Are they in school though? No. They're, two
0: Two are in school. One is at home.
2: Okay. So let let's step out of healthcare for a second. So yeah, I live sure. in Hunters Creek, Florida. It's a it's a nice area of orlando um and we have a private school that we go to and two of our kids go to a public school and we heard to go to the private school they're gonna lower teachers can't manage 40 kids so they're gonna lower the school size of the room so that they get a better education so less students better education the grades didn't go up right well wait a minute you said that you couldn't handle more than 30 kids, now you're down to between 22 and 25. So all I'm saying is we have to look, we as physicians, and I'm not a physician, by the way, you probably know that, but as physicians, we're scientists, right? We have to look at this thing to say, all right, if they don't have a wage that matters, then that's that's a conversation we have to have first because that's, that's the first rung of the thing. If I don't have the tools and resources to do my job or a paycheck that actually pays the bills, then okay but i'm saying if all things being equal money is not the only motivator it's it's way low on the list on the on the top 12 things it's like i don't know 9 or 10 we got to get the first 8 done first
0: okay so in order to bring the team back to the purpose the purpose of which is taking care of patients it sounds like these morning huddles are number 1 check in with them in their home life right everything okay is your kid feeling better you know is is mom feeling better, uh, fine, check in with everyone. Number two, go through what's gonna take place during the day, maybe run through the list of patients or any administrative changes and then go. So it sounds like a really brief just meeting in order to bring everyone together. And then at the end of the day, probably the same thing, right? Let's just uh, regroup anything we could have done better, anything we could have done differently. I know you were covering three different doctors, you know, you really had your roller skates on and we appreciate everything you did. We saw you, uh, you know, I know we can be challenging sometimes. So thank you. Right. And then and then the day is over. So it sounds like just two brief meetings really go a long way.
2: Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen a end of the day team meeting before, but the morning huddle is key. I mean, it's like it's like any. I I took it a little too far. I got no, excited. No. <laughs> no, I mean, you're, you're probably not a New England Patriots fan. I'm definitely not. I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, so I'm a Bills fan, and they've been killing us for years. But you can't argue with Bill Belichick's game plan, right? Wait, you said a- in, your, in your bio it says upstate New York. Yeah. Buffalo is
0: western New York. That's right. I went to med school there, so I am ah. familiar. It is not
2: upstate. It
0: is, is true. They get offended yeah, you if you call only, it upstate.
2: But you can only say that to a New Yorker. Yes. Anybody yes, else yes. in the world says, "Oh, you're from New York? Are you from the Big Apple?" No, yeah. I'm from upstate. The so other, the at least, other. that gets them up there. You know. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. But anyway, so, no. My my point is this: we don't stop and reflect. The learning that happens day to day that I've read, it doesn't happen in the moment of the experience. It happens from re- reflecting on the experience. So when we get a team huddled together, hey, let's talk about yesterday. And you know who the best of this is, Brad? Fine dining restaurants. Have you ever been a waiter or bartender? So one of the reasons
0: I actually wanted to do patient experience is because for, this is gonna make me sound all hoity-toity, I'm not. For my wife's birthday, we went to a, this was quite a few years ago, we went to a three Michelin star restaurant. For those New Yorkers out there, we went to 11 Madison Park. And it was a freezing night, absolutely freezing. And we finish our dinner, and they—they they, we get our coats. We put our hands in our pockets, and they're hand warmers in our pockets. What? Hand warmers. Oh, like, wow. holy cow, that level. And all I could think was, man, if our patients got this level of attention, yeah. that would be am- I mean, you know, we're not going to start giving out hand warmers to everybody, but uh, I could see that as being like a legal liability. But really, like we need to start thinking about that. But yes, and actually I did work as a a bartender, like between college and med school. Wasn't very busy, though.
2: (laughs) So what if we what if we borrowed from the restaurant, the fine dining restaurant industry, the three Michelin stars? their process, their mechanisms, right? What do they do to ground their servers, their dishwashers, their chefs? And by the way, the, the, the owner of the restaurant and the general manager of the restaurant and the chef, they all hate each other because it's three captains who have three different philosophies in life. You're smiling, you know, right? Because there's three houses. Do not come in my kitchen. Get out of my kitchen, says the chef. Don't come out front. You know, I run the front of the house. You run the back of the house. Does this sound anything familiar as a physician? Of course it does. And who gets trapped in the middle? Servers, bartenders, seating hosts, valet parking, which we outsourced, right? Which nobody knows, right? So all they do is before they open up at three o'clock or for lunch, they have a meeting ahead of time. And they say, good morning, hello, welcome. Does any, let's talk about last night. How many tables, how much revenue, how much service recovery did we do? Anybody have any mistakes? Does anybody have any problems we need to solve? What do we do in our monthly team meetings? Number one, we don't have team meetings. We used to have them, but you know since COVID, we haven't gotten together. Well, okay. Well, is that a problem? Right? Can we do that virtually? We don't solve problems. We're like, all right, Brad, what do you got? Uh, I, don't, I don't got anything. Jake, what do you got? Uh, I'm good. So we're asking for people for updates. And if we call on somebody, they're like, don't ever call on me again. So this is different. We're now getting the entire team together for 15 minutes. We're celebrating those who went above and beyond yesterday. We're celebrating those who caught a mistake and had a service recovery from a jerk, right? And fixed it because 20% fine dining restaurants know that 10 to 20% of their best, most loyal customers were mistakes that got right. That service recovery was performance. We messed up. Your wife got a steak that was overcooked. You had the lobster. What are they going to do? Send it all back and recook it? So what are we going to do? We're going to throw wine at them. We're going to give them, right? We become a good listening, learning loyalty organization. We need to borrow that in, in private practice. We need to borrow that when we have a group of ENT docs who have Join together. Now, these are, you know, we're herding cats now because these were all independent docs who are entrepreneurs who came together. Now we create a board of directors. Now we're trying to create a real organization, but we're trying to see patients as well. We're player coaches, but we have to borrow these same mechanisms that have worked at Walt Disney World for 50 years, have worked in in, in uh, uh Ritz-Carlton, Southwest Airlines, organizations that have achieved world-class status, but it's the little things they do to connect their employees to purpose every day, not just offering them more money. And by the way, how many of your employees have left for more money to go down the street only to call later and say, can I come back? I made a mistake. Greener pastures are always going to be there. So listen, money's got to be there, but it's not the all end all be all. Can you give us some examples aside from the the morning huddle? Like y- you had mentioned
0: taking things from the restaurant industry, taking things from hospitality, okay. right? What are some of the more concrete examples of things that would translate from the hospitality industry to inpatient medicine, to outpatient medicine? Like what can we, aside from the morning huddle, what what else can we do?
2: The two, um, you know... And hand warmers. and Oh, the hand warmers. I'm stealing that. Uh, <laughs> but as soon as somebody... Elderly woman puts her hand in the parking lot or in her pocket, feels a hand warmer, and has a heart attack at the same time until you get sued for yeah. being so smart, right? Definitely this is what allegedly. happened at Disney. We yeah. try to someone gets a burn. To- exactly. Yeah. Oh, you know. And then we go, okay, we're never gonna do that again. And that's where we throw the baby out with the bathwater. But two of the biggest mechanisms that I believe elevated the Disney experience when I worked there for 18 and a half years. These two mechanisms. Number one, when you connect people to purpose. So you've got 100,000 employees on the same size of property, the same size as Manhattan, twice the size of Manhattan, same size as San Francisco. Disney World in Orlando is 28,000 acres, 43 square miles. So when I worked there from the 80s to 2001, we had 100,000 employees, 75,000 of them we gave paychecks to and 25,000 them were contracted employees. OK, yet we united all of them with three words doesn't matter where you work or what you do. You could be in a wastewater treatment plant. God bless you. You could be working in a hotel. You could be a doctor at the Florida Hospital Hospital on Disney property. You could be running one of the clinics, five fire departments. doesn't matter where you work. That's your job task. That's your job title. But what's your role in the show is we create happiness. It's longer than that, but that's all you're going to remember in general orientation. So number one, you got to connect them to the same compass, true north. You're a lawyer keeping us out of Disney court. You're creating happiness. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, you, you don't get a pass. And it starts at the top, right? The chief physician, the chief executive, everybody's got to pick up trash. Every Because we know the number one reason people go back to Disney is not the rides, is the place was clean. The place was friendly and the place was fun. It's always those three and it's always in that order. So who picks up trash? Everybody. Just like you at the restaurant. Oh, I'm a bartender. That's not my restaurant. No, it is, Brad. Okay? Otherwise, you don't get to be a bartender anymore. You pick up trash as you walk through the restaurant. You see a dirty fork that fell on the floor? Pick it up, right? We take ownership. So once you have that true north compass, Brad, now the two ways you elevate it, uh, let me back up. The three ways you elevate it is, number one, you've got to document what we do here. As a front desk person, how do we check people in? Human business, human, right? We connect on the good morning, eye contact, smile. Even if I'm on the phone, I'll put up a number one. I'll be right with you, right? We connect with eye contact, smile, good morning. Hello, may I help you, right? Can I get your last name? Oh, we've been expecting you, Mr. Mister Block. Dr. Block, and here you are, right? Okay, good. Then you have a seat. We'll come get you in about 10 minutes. Here's some paperwork. And then, you know, out comes the MA and starts that HBH all over again. So you've got a playbook for the front desk. You've got a playbook for the MA, the nurse may come in and draw some blood and do some. Te- you got an RN one, maybe a mid-level one, right? Then you got your specialists, right? Ear, nose, and throat, asthma specialists, um, and so on. So now everybody's got a playbook that connects to we create happiness, or in your case, we pick noses. We pick noses. I love that. I love that. <laughs> By the way, I, I know I'm not allowed to swear on these things, but I, I have to tell you, I did a I did a group in Springfield, Massachusetts. They were all proctologists. And one guy raised his hand as we were talking about Disney. He goes, "You know what? We got a phrase in, in 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 our business. You you know this. You're you're nodding. It may be crap to you, but it's our bread and butter. So oh. you oh. all have your own line. I love that. We pick noses. That's fine. So once you have a playbook, what is the way to elevate it? And it's two these two things. Number one, on the spot recognition program. What is that? It's a little postcard that we print up at the print shop. Or we get little sticky note pad made up, we keep it at the front desk, and we say, you catch any of your team members who work in any of our ENTs, and they do something special, write them up. If they're doing our mission, which is uniting healing and human kindness, right? That's our true north here at Mercy Medical Group. We unite healing and human kindness. Healing is clinical excellence kindness is Service service. If you catch somebody else doing somebody in the call center or somebody who's behind the scenes answering the phones and they do something special, write them up. And then during our team huddle, we're going to call out those cards. And then we're going to give that card to that employee and they're probably never going to throw it away, okay? So we may put them in a hat and draw prizes at the end of the month, right? Randomly, you don't get two cards, you get a t-shirt, you don't get five cards, you get a coffee mug. Don't do that, Brad because people will gain the system. So on the spot recognition says what you do matters. And I caught you. The other one is when you catch a service mistake called service cover and you fix it, document it, write yourself up. All right. Well, yesterday we had a 12 year old come in, he had a bee sting. He needed epinephrine. The doctor gave an nephrinephrine, and give him a prescription for to go to Walgreens and get an EpiPen. So the mom took him back to school. The nurse said he had to download the paperwork. That was a 45-minute drive each way. She came back, and the doctor had already gone home. We jumped through the hoops. We went down the hall to family medicine. That doctor signed it, but the lady was still mad as heck. So I gave her a $25 Shell gas card. What? Yeah. And I think she needed it. I'm a mom. She's a mom. If, and she was really happy when I did it. Okay. Now let's do a Monday morning quarterback. The next morning, we did a team huddle. We talk about that service recovery. We say, how can we avoid this from happening again? Listening, learning, loyalty. One smart person says, listen, I've lived in three different counties in this area. Why don't we just download the paperwork for all three school districts, have it in a folder called EpiPens. And every time we prescribe an EpiPen, we ask what school district you're in and we'll give them that. Okay, we pull out the on-the-spot recognition card. Julie, that's the greatest idea. You're going to be in the drawing this month. Good for you. And that becomes the play of the week. Now, if you're a big practice with multi-specialties or multi-units, you share that via email. Play of the week. Email goes out. Or you have an employee newsletter. Now, the rest of the organization says, I got an idea. I know we're in cardiology. We don't have EpiPens, but we have this certain chemical. That same situation happened to us. Now, we've got a group. Working together, not only for on-the-spot recognition to raise the bar in service, but to try to problem solve. Now you're engaging employees in creating a place that they're not just showing up every day, pulling a string in their neck and just providing the least amount of work for the least amount of pay. You're engaging them in a conversation where they can be architects to their own culture. You mentioned there that the implication is that you've empowered staff
0: to act, right? They can give out that shell gift card or they can, you know, they're, they've come up with this idea of downloading the paperwork and keeping it in a file so that, that we always have it right. And I've heard you talk about this before, where you're empowering the staff to, to act. How do you convince a maybe reluctant leadership to do that? Right to empower the staff.
2: Ask any manager what they do on Sunday afternoon or first thing Monday morning. A smart manager, maybe with even an MBA after her name, will say, "I plan out my week." Oh, really? How's that going for you? It's great. Do you actually get to do it? Hell no. Why not? As soon as Putting I show out fires. up, I put out fires. Yep. We should give her a you know NYC helmet from the New York Fire Department and a fire retardant outfit to wear all day, because that's all she does. Why do you do that? Well, because staff bring me problems. Physicians bring me problems. Why don't they solve it themselves? Because I'm the manager. This doesn't work anymore, Brad. This is old school, man. This is 80s stuff, not 2021, right? We've got, If this is the definition of insanity, right? If we do the same thing over and over again, expect different results, higher patient satisfaction, employees not leaving. Do you know that the average recruiting cost for a nurse in America is $64,500? So if a nurse shows up and leaves within 90 days, we lost $64,500. What, what about a specialized nurse like an OR nurse? $137,000. A veteran or our nurse is worth her weight in gold. We lost 137. What about a physician, right? It's over $100,000 to recruit a a specialized physician in America. Have them moved to Sacramento or New York City, right? And you guys are easy. What about rural Arkansas where I work, right? How do you get somebody of color to move in an all-white area where there's no synagogue that they pray in, right? Or have a place to go out to eat with their wife that has any stars after it. So we've got to think differently. If we're going to act differently and the, and the best people, I I will tell you this as a frontline employee, making $3 and 81 cents an hour in college, I was a balloon seller on main street in the magic kingdom trying to get my business degree. Boy, were my parents proud, more like in (laughs) Paris, right? But they treated me like they did vice presidents because I was closest to the customer in your case, closest to the patient. They know all the problems. They just stopped sharing all the problems because They don't, they're scared of you. You physicians are scary. You're smart. You went to school for so long. You run this place, right? You can save lives. I'm scared to bring anything to you. So we've got to invite them to participate in activities where they contribute and they feel ownership. You see, participation drives ownership. Ownership drives authorship, where they feel like their fingerprints on the and then that drives mutual accountability. And that leads us to we all have to have a playbook, not just the front desk and the MAs. The bosses have got to walk the talk too. We can talk about that another time. Let's talk about onboarding actually.
0: So that you're you're hiring new staff, you want to imbue them with the culture of the place. You want to inform them that you know what, as physicians, maybe we're not as scary as we sometimes seen. So what does onboarding look like? And is it different? For To use the restaurant analogy used before, front of house versus back of house, right? So for the physicians that's patient-facing versus non-patient-facing, is that different for management? Is that different for new physicians? So you're a physician joining a practice, right? How do we
2: onboard them? So before we go to onboarding, I'll come back to in a second. I told you that to unite 100,000 employees, we had three words. We create happiness it's longer it's we create happiness by providing the finest entertainment for people of all ages everywhere that's our true north at disney it's our service theme it doesn't replace our mission vision and values but it's the thread that pulls through and we call it the disney difference that's how we differentiate between universal and SeaWorld. we create happiness what's the most important word brad when you're trying to get a hundred thousand people on the same we page? exactly we so it doesn't matter where you work or what you do whether you're a dishwasher Hey, if you don't do dishes, Brad, we don't have plates to put on tables. If you don't park cars, valet parker, surgery is not going to start on time today. You're a very important transporter to get them from the car to the front desk. Front desk, you're so important that if you don't get the right paperwork and the wristband on that wristband, the nurse is not going to do the intake for surgery. Transporter in surgery, you're so important you have to disinfect between every time you push that next gurney. And when you call the answer, everybody has a role on the team. So we have to start first with intentionality. If you want to create a culture that's world class, you have to create an intentional story to tell. What is your story, Brad? It's not just picking noses, right? You could be the most clinically excellent ENT practice in the world, and no one's going to know, right? Unless you are a hospital that I know of in Florida that's cut off the wrong leg twice, right? Nobody knows how good you are from a safety quality standpoint unless you got written up, right? But we absolutely know how you treated me or my mom or my daughter, right? So the question is, number one, what is our culture? And what does it look like when you see it? And what does it look like when you shouldn't see it, right? You got to know it when you see it, know it when you don't. So we got to be clear about what we stand for and what we won't stand for. Okay, now we've got that true north. And the most important word is we. How do we pre-board for it? In other words, I don't need another front desk person. I need somebody who makes warm welcomes and fond farewells. So what does it look like? Not just from a business. Must be able to use a computer, answer the phone. By the way, just on a side note, it is the worst job in medicine, the front desk of a clinic of of a private practice. It's what I refer to as air traffic control. They are literally set up to fail. Why? Because we say there's a lot of things you have to do here. You have to check people in. You have to check people out. You have to do insurance for a vacation. You have to hand off to the MA. What? Well, which one's most important? Which one should I do for that? You have to do them all figure it out. So they, and by the way, if the phone rings, pick it up now, wait a minute. Wait. And you have to let
0: people know that their insurance has expired. Exactly. You were put on the schedule, but the doctor actually doesn't take your insurance. It's, that the first patient was actually 45 minutes late and still took another 20 minutes to fill out their paperwork. So now the doctor's running an hour and a half behind, and you're the one who's gonna tell everybody that. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. So
2: number one, what's the job description for your ENT front desk person? You know, there was a great ad in the Orlando paper, Orlando newspaper back in the 90s. And it had all these jobs for Days In, Universal, SeaWorld, and Disney. And they're all for housekeepers. Except Disney's ad was brilliant. It didn't say we want someone who can lift 60 pounds and, and, and able to clean 16 rooms a day. That's the job, right? They went for the role. The ad said, are you, are you someone who likes to make people smile? And can you keep a room Disney clean? What I almost applied. I was like intrigued. That is so brilliant. They connect you immediately to purpose before they've even offered you an interview. So pre-boarding is thinking about reinventing our process that connects people to purpose, our job description. And when I click on your website, Brad, for your ENT practice, I should see a little two minute video pops up. Hey, thanks for clicking on our careers page of our website. We created this video of our physicians and our front desk folks and all of our team of what we stand for here at ENT and what we won't stand for. After watching this video of our history and our heritage and so on, if you think you fit our culture, please proceed with the application process. If you don't think you fit your culture, gosh, we'd love to be uh, for us to you, for you to be a patient for us, but you probably don't want to work. They eighteen percent, untypical, typical, eighteen to twenty percent of people who click on that video self-select out. It's a win-win for everybody right? Then you apply, you send your CV, interview, right? In the interview, what questions are we asking to solicit for attitude, not just looking at your resume and all the different education you did up at UB and residency and so on, right? So we're looking for attitude because it's hard to change a zebra stripe. Somebody asked me yesterday on a call for 3,000 executives in healthcare, and they stumped me. They said, can you train for attitude? No. No. Now, there's a very small percentage. you got to solicit. You've got to select for attitude. Now we can get to onboarding. Well, I think yeah. attitude's infectious, right? Absolutely. Like if you have a bad
0: attitude and disdain for your patients and disdain for your staff, that's infectious. If you have a positive attitude, you love your staff, you love your patients, you love your job, I think that's going to, it's not going to change their stripes, but maybe change the angle of them a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Herb Kelleher, head of Southwest Airlines, says, you know, if you love your job, you know, you're going to find meaning in your job, right? It's going to matter. But all of us who have been with an organization long enough, we lose that loving feeling. If Unless we polish our own brass or somebody else has happened to polish our brass with us, we get tarnished and we become curmudgeons. And I was one, Right. Thank God for 9-11. That was my silver lining. That was my wake-up call to do something different because I was the broken record. Why do we have to do it this way? No one ever listens to me. Woe is me. I hit that glass ceiling, right? I needed to go because I needed an attitude adjustment. And and so I had the right attitude for 18 of those 19 years. But I I think we all lose our way. So the question is, you asked a question about recruiting for it, though. The interview questions are very important. Then you onboard for it. Okay. Good morning. Welcome. And you model it. It's not a guest speaker death march of one speaker after another speaker that's, uh, and you you have to take the sharp objects out of the room at one o'clock because they want to poke their eyes out because they've been death by PowerPoint. That's healthcare hospital 101. Private practice, we don't do anything, right? All right. You, uh, who, who's available to train Brad? No. Uh, Tony? Okay. Why don't you just shadow Tony? We do a see one, do one, teach one here. Just go follow him and we'll give you a sign on and you go start seeing patients, right? Never connected to the culture. Don't know what we stand for. Don't know the lessons that we've learned and the mistakes that we've made in service recovery so you can avoid it from happening again. So there's no linear connection. At Disney, it is hardwired, right? It's very orchestrated. It's very choreographed. You know, on a side note, when you go to Disney parks, whether you like Disney or not, Pay attention to the dancers in front of the castle. For every one minute on stage, they rehearse for seven hours. Okay, that's choreograph. That's orchestration. Why? Because an average family will save three to four years to go to Disney. It's very expensive. So that is the creme de la creme. Your our Michelin three-star dancers are there because we want to make sure it's right. Why don't we use that same rigor in medicine? I'm not saying you do this with clinical excellence, but why don't we do this with service excellence? Why wouldn't we orchestrate your very first day to be so pristine that when you go home at night and you say to your wife, hey, I was just trying to get a job, but I actually may stay here, honey. This is this is really different kind of organization. I'm I'm actually excited to go back to work tomorrow. Right. That's a different organization. But here's the gaping hole, Brad, when you actually then get handed off to your trainer crickets. Right, it should sound like this. Brad, welcome to EMT. I'm going to show you what you heard yesterday in general orientation and how we've localized it here at the front desk, the MA, the call center, or as physician services. We don't, we don't connect the dots. We don't connect the dots because nobody at PI has orchestrated this process up. You don't orchestrate that. That's like that's like saying, well, if you want to wash your hands, wash your hands before surgery. Whatever. It's the same idea. We're we're actually this
0: this is flown by. This has flown by. I, I had so many more questions that I, I wanted to ask you. But, but I think while we're on the topic, I, I just want you to bring up something I've heard you say before. Uh, I think it was in uh, with re- relation to Exxon, right? You spend so much time training them and so much money, right? Invested in the time training them. What happens if they just leave? What happens if they take all this service training, take it elsewhere?
2: Yeah, it was, uh, God, I can't remember his name. It actually, uh, John, it was John Reed at Citibank before they merged with Citigroup, uh, with Travelers. Um, and Exxon was also here at the time, so I might have mixed those two. Anyway, it doesn't matter who it was. He said to us, he said, how much time do you invest in training for service for an average employee? And we said, it's between 60 to 80 hours every year. And he said, oh, my gosh. That's like a full week. I mean, what if you train these people and they leave? And we said, what if we don't train these people and they stay? So the point of the matter is you you always get what you got if you always do what you've always done. So what if we stop for a second and say, all right, we're going to bring in an ex-ballet parker or bellman from the Ritz-Carlton just to inspire our front desk to create warm welcomes and fond farewells and then we're going to ask our front desk what's keeping you from creating that warm welcome and they go well i got too many things here i can't answer the phone i got other physician offices calling at surgery centers calling i got patients calling boy if you could just take the phones away all right can we take one of our front desk people and put her backstage so and this would be this is like going to the courtyard marriott with your family and you're checking in And they're like, good morning, good evening, how are you? Oh, we're tired, we just got the plane. Oh, great, can I get your last name? Yeah, it's Block. Great, Mr. Block, well, thank you for choosing the court. And then the phone rings. And they go, oh, excuse me, sir, just a second. Yeah, sure, you want me to, a new credit card? Okay, and they just go on for, yeah, I got your new credit card in there. Yeah, oh, you wanted a wake up call too? What would you feel like? You got three sleeping kids in your arms, you got a grumpy wife, you're going through a little divorce court in the taxi on the way there, right? You want to get in your room. But unfortunately, we're short staffed now and we've made them do all these tasks. We need to think differently. Sometimes we gotta look outside our own industry. And courtyard would never answer the phone like that. At a normal nine-to-five time job, they've moved that job backstage. So look to Chick-fil-A's, look to the Disneys. And and start peeking behind the scenes. Pull the curtain back and say, how do they orchestrate that? How do they hardwire that? And I think we can. And I and I wrote a book, ninety nine ways we can do that. Not to plug my book, but I mean, there's there's thousands of ways we can do that. That was actually what I was going to ask you to do
0: next. Um, Tell us about your book and tell us about your company. Right? If our listeners inspired by what they've heard, I definitely am. I'm definitely going to start every day differently now. Um where can we find your book and if we want to bring you on board to to help bring service to our organization? How oh, yeah. how do we do that?
2: That's very you're very kind. Well, driving from Orlando to Buffalo, New York every summer is our pilgrimage, and my wife pulls out her laptop. Oh, goes, that sounds yeah. <laughs> Five people in a car, two dogs, it's nuts, right? It's two days of hell. But my wife says, Tell me a story. So for, for two years back and forth she typed up 99 stories of how I took lessons that I learned at Disney and I've been applying them in hospitals, hospice, home care, primary care, and so on. So the book is called 99 Lessons Learned from Disney to Improve the Patient Experience. It's really a Trojan horse. It's re- really not just about the patient experience. It's about leadership. It's about the employee engagement. And it's also about the patient experience. But you got to keep your titles short, right? So there's 99 ways. Now so I took the book And then my wife's like, you know, your book's good, but it's a bunch of tips. You should give them lesson plans. So I wrote another book, The Companion Piece. So for each chapter, right, uh, I'll give you a a human business, humans, one of them, right? I gave you a lesson plan book where you and your team can sit down once a week, once a month and work on that and try to localize it. Then not to stop there, but COVID hit. (laughs) Screeching halt. All of my healthcare clients never called me back. So I'm like, what am I going to do this summer in Buffalo, New York? So I built a studio in my father's basement, my father in law's basement, and I shot 99 videos to go with the 99 lessons and lesson plans. So now you can do 99 lessons online. So I will take you through a little mini masterclass of all those lessons. So there's a variety of ways. And I wrote an ebook. And if you go to our website, it's called WeCreateLoyalty.com. And there's a variety of ways. You can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. I give this stuff away. I'm on a mission. On 9-11, I was at Eisenhower Medical Center on behalf of the Disney Institute doing a cultural assessment when the second plane hit the Twin Towers. And I said, you know what? It's now time to change my mission. And so now my calling is to follow my mother's calling, who was a nurse for 42 years in University Hospital in Rochester, New York. And I'm now gonna commit my life, the rest of my life, to elevating the human side of healthcare. So that's what I do, that's what I wanna do. And if you wanna be part of that, I'd be glad to partner with anybody. Wonderful, one more time, that's WeCreateLoyalty.com.
0: Jake Poor. thank you so much for your time. This was fantastic material and definitely gonna change how I do things now. (laughs)
2: My pleasure. It was my honor. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, and by the way, don't forget to reach out to Panacea Financial for your banking needs as a physician, because they are built by physicians. Panacea's PRN personal loan was designed specifically for physicians and physicians in training. Go to PanaceaFinancial.com and open your new account today. Panacea Financial is a division of Primus, member FDIC.
1: That was Dr. Bradley Block at The Physician's Guide to Doctoring.